the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're coming at you live today from Christchurch. Uh, two special guests today. First up, uh, Stephen Moe and also Andy Paulson. Thanks for joining us, guys. Pleasure to be here. Great to be here. Now, Stephen, maybe we can uh, start with a little intro from you while we fit into this uh, big wide world of, of tech and other such things. Yep. I've, I've had an interest in tech for a long time. My actual work is as a lawyer. I do a lot with tech companies, people doing startups and that type of thing. So, yeah, keep an active eye on what's going on. Yeah, great. And uh, I'm heavily involved in uh, Canterbury Tech, the local tech cluster here in Christchurch. And I work as a tech recruiter as well and have previously run tech companies. So tech all over the show, really. <laughs> yes, I know you're, yeah, you're both deeply involved in, uh, in technology and those, those intros didn't, uh, didn't really cover it. But you know, I think people will get an idea as, as we go forward. A whole lot to chat about today. Wanted to start off with a little bit of delving into to some of the things from uh, CES or Consumer Electronics Show as it used to be called. It's actually now just CES because it's more than Consumer Electronics. Uh, but there's actually a whole bunch of, of New Zealand uh, related topics. I want to hear a little bit about uh, things here in Christchurch as well. Mm-hmm. Um, since we, we've added um, yeah, a number of partners to the show in recent months, well, you know, one of the things, the goals with that um, that was included is want to get a little bit uh, outside of Auckland from time to time. Uh, and and around the country and get a bit of a feel for what's uh, what's happening and of course it's always great having guests from around the country but it hasn't been very often that I've you know, actually got out and recorded episodes elsewhere so it's mm-hmm. nice to be in, in Christchurch uh, today um, so we'll talk about some of those New Zealand topics what's happening to faxing in New Zealand which is I think anybody involved in um, having to uh, either IT support or phone support would wish that thing would die. So we'll chat <laughs> about that. Uh, 5G, which I've been trying, and um, and actually, hopefully, the, the live stream that's going on to uh, Facebook today is working quite well uh, because we're we're um, we're streaming over uh, over 5G uh, today from uh, from from Christchurch. Uh, so um, that's. Uh, it's going to be interesting. And um, at the end of last year, there was some information around the 5G uh, spectrum auction um, activity in New Zealand, which the timing of it meant we didn't actually cover it. So I thought we'd have a little bit of a chat about that today. A couple of other things on there uh, to do with autonomous vehicles. Stephen, you've been involved in um, just recently publishing a, a paper or an, an e-book to sort of talking about some of the, the things to do with autonomous vehicles. Yep. As they relate to New Zealand and you know legal things and you know how we make New Zealand sort of a you know good place and it's uh, you know friendly for, for testing these things and mm-hmm. so on. Um, so I hope we'll have a little bit of time to um, to delve into that. But first of all, we must say thank you to our partners: Sumo Logic, Vodafone, Spark, Vocus, HP, and Samsung. And it's really you know their support that is helping us uh, you know grow the show and develop it this year. So uh, great to have all of those fantastic firms uh, on board and for all of the support that they bring to the tech community in New Zealand. Let's jump in onto announcements and, and news that came out you know, over the last uh, two or three weeks and, and particularly at CES in, in Las Vegas. And, and Stephen, something really caught your eye there in terms of um, the announcement from Toyota that they're building this sort of prototype city of the future. I mean, mm-hmm. that sort of thing just you know gets me buzzing anyway, wearing my <laughs> futurist hat, um, which I like to do as much as possible. Um, you know, hearing about this stuff just you know it sounds sounds really cool, and I'm wondering how it's all going to uh, fit fit together. Um, what uh, you know, what are the bits that sort of really caught caught yeah, your eye with the, with the that thing, announcement? The thing that intrigued me because uh, I used to live in Japan. I actually lived five years in Japan, and the first time I moved there was in 1999. And I remember arriving, and it was just this technological wonderland, like late 90s. And the phones that they had, you know, like compared to what I had here in New Zealand, it was just... You were still using a flip phone in New Zealand? Exactly. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I can't believe what I'm seeing here. And if you've been to Japan, I know you were in Tokyo recently, right? Like just the technology that they bring out and they do it really well. So, So I guess partly that's the context for my own background, knowing Japan and the way that they 
you know, if you eat French food in Tokyo, it's probably as good as Paris. You know, like they, they go to the, as far as possible. So what Toyota's announced is that they are building a futuristic city at the base of Mount Fuji, which has lots of symbolic, you know, uh, reasons why that's an important place in Japan. It's going to be 175 acres. It's a former car factory. And what they're doing is calling it a woven city. And this fascinates me because of this sort of AV, you know, autonomous vehicles discussions that is happening. Um, what they're proposing is that there will be 2,000 people living in the city, and there will be three types of streets. The first type will be for autonomous vehicles. The second will be for bikes, scooters, and pedestrians. And the third type will be for just pedestrians. And the comment I've seen is that the just pedestrians part, it will be almost like a park, you know, like you're walking along. It's not going to be like streets as we think of them. Yeah. And then the point is that they're gathering these people here to, it, it'll be a research facility. So they'll be looking into the future and designing new products and all that. So you've got a big player like Toyota who has the backing, you know, they, they sell a lot of cars mm. and they're investing in something that is a futuristic city. So to me, that's really, yeah, it's going to be one to watch. I think. Well, it's, it's, it's the next level from, uh, you know, from other announcements we've had and, you mm. know, we've, we've, we've seen automakers you know, set up little little areas mm -hmm. for uh, for testing, and I you know I've seen I mean there's, I think you know most of the the automakers get that their their business is more than making cars. Just I, I guess yeah. just as most firms these days, um, yeah, you know, I, I say we're a tech firm, not a bank, or we're a tech firm, not an automaker, and so on. They've, they've you know they've got that uh, you know they've got that aspect, but this. This really sort of takes it to the next level. And I think the media, the releases around that really amplifies that message that mm. we are more than a car maker because mm. they're, they're proposing that there will be homes which have sensor-based AI to check on the health of the occupants. So they're, you know, they're, it's, it's not just about the cars. <laughs> it's definitely the next level. Which, yeah, that's quite interesting because there are organizations are already starting to play in that space, but they're trying to, from the sounds of it, mm -hmm. trying to, to bring a whole pile of these sorts of technologies together. You know, and I was speaking with the CIO of a, a healthcare organization here in Christchurch. I don't have permission to mention who it is, so I won't mention his name. <laughs> but he was commenting that the nice thing with their villages is um, because it's private property, they can do autonomous vehicle trials, they can put sensors in, uh, in residents' rooms, they can actually you know, have a, a, a voice assistant type unit inside the thing to say, Mavis, your ride is going to be here in five minutes time to take you over to mm. the social hour. It's cold outside. Remember to take your jacket. Mm. Um, and so they're kind of taking that, which is that some organizations are doing in a microcosm area and, and turning that into a citywide thing. Yeah. And I expect that they will come in at all generations. So you have kids going through technology things there, monitoring them and, and stuff right through middle age to, to seniors. So that could be really interesting. Yeah. The only other bit that really struck out to me was um, in an article, someone was talking about Walt Disney and, you know, Epcot Center. Yes. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I remember... It was to be the city of it the future. Yeah, exactly. Right. Do you know what Epcot yeah. stands for? I've got it right here. Experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. So the Epcot Center, his original vision, and for those who haven't been, it's kind of next to Disney World in Florida. Um, his vision was what would it look like in the future? And so it's kind of interesting that we're seeing a commercial organization come in with this you know, creating a city of the future. Yeah. Have yeah, Disney kept that up though? Uh, uh, is their future technology still being developed in Epcot? I haven't been for so long. Recently, I should have gone. Yeah, I, I was a kid when I went. I remember being like, wow, this is so cool. You know, uh, but this is a long time ago now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, this isn't quite um, CES at all. Um, there were autonomous air taxi sort of things, announcements at CES. Mm. But Andy, um, you mentioned before we started about Dawn Aerospace. Yeah. And I've seen little bit, little bits and pieces, but hadn't um, fully joined up all the dots. But um, 
tell tell me what you know is happening in New Zealand and in, in the South Island with Dawn Aerospace. Well, quite interesting. A couple of days ago, it announced that the Waitaki District Council have just signed a uh, a permission for Dawn Aerospace to use Omaru Airport as a launching place for their space planes, which are going to, from the sounds of it, compete with the Rocket Labs kind of launch vehicle to get small satellites into space, but in a reusable way, like a space shuttle. Yeah, well, there's been, I mean, there's been a bunch of firms, right? I mean, Rocket Lab stand out because they're actually, you know, launching mm. these things. There's been a bunch of ones around the world that have been trying to compete. But boy, it's pretty cool to have a, you know another uh, another space thing, mm. you know, happening uh, here in New Zealand and uh, and in the South Island. Yeah, seeing as we uh, lost Rocket Labs off Birdlings Flat. City Council, grr. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was uh, that probably held held them up, and a uh, bit, bit of a disappointment for a few people down here. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, definitely. But yeah, we've we've got um, with the Cora guys doing um, the air taxis, uh, with with Dawn Aerospace doing what they're doing with reusable launch vehicles. There's all awful lot of things that are starting to kick off here in the South Island, which is absolutely really exciting. Mm. Um, and Omaru Airport, who would have thought? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, if you've got any listeners in, uh, in Tekapo who want to share their first-hand experiences of, of having seen Cora uh, fly, I'm going to be uh, passing passing through there uh, sometime over the over the next few days. I, I'm you know, um, not sure I'll be able to uh, sneak my way in to, uh, to, to have a look at what they're up to, but... Um, yeah, it's it's cool. These things are happening around the country, right? And that uh, New Zealand is is really playing a you know a key a key role. And the interesting thing from that story is that um, they apparently could have uh, launch vehicles launching this year. They could actually start flying this year. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's only January. I'm going to leave a month to go, but that's. That's amazingly exciting, I think. Yeah. Now, I mentioned, because um, we're sort of mixing up yeah, a bit of aerospace, in it, and then we, I also mentioned autonomous um, air taxis, but Uber um, you know, have been talking for a, for a while about uh, their autonomous air taxi mm-hmm. service, and they've been putting lots of pressure on, on uh, different uh, firms or encouragement, however you want to put it, but you know, they're just sort of trying to take... Um, you know, the, the, the attention which you know you can imagine they want good press and they mm. haven't always had good press <laughs> um, and, uh, and and playing it so sort of, you know something that's quite futuristic like these autonomous air taxis certainly uh, you know would uh, would fulfill that but um, they've they've made an announcement around uh, Melbourne being in a you know bunch yeah. of other countries which eh, you know it's it's not too far I would have preferred a you know, Christchurch or Wellington or Auckland or, you know, Timaru or something, somewhere in New Zealand. To, I'm uh, curious why Melbourne? <laughs> what is it that Uber's doing in Melbourne that, that it's one of their three pilot cities for this particular program? Like well, I guess Dallas, Las Vegas be, and Melbourne. Yeah. That's it's three interesting cities to pick out in the world. Mm. What What is it about those three cities that is unique enough there might to be become some, the, I'm the guessing trials. regulatory type mm. stuff has to be a key yep. part of it. Yep. Um, yeah, population and then, yeah, people's willingness to sort of spend money. Mm. Um, but, yeah, exactly how that comes together, um, I, I don't know the, uh, the, the the secrets, but... What would the ride cost? miles away, so... Uh, well, I, I, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Because mm. you, can, you can go and jump in a helicopter today, right? Yeah. So, the, if, if you're... And especially a company like Uber, if they're going to you know, actually seriously play in this space, and um, you know you can use your Uber app, you know at the moment for a for an e scooter for a ride, you can you, know, you can book a submarine food. ride in your Uber app. I was reading. Well, <laughs> and they do these things which I would say are PR stunts, right? Oh, totally. You know, they do that totally. to like get oh, how do we get another million dollars worth of free publicity? Well, I mean, how many mentions that will have had? Yeah. Not just you, Andy, but it will have got mentioned of <laughs> sorts. You know, mainstream media are always looking for something interesting to go on the you know, front of their website and so on. So these things, actually, you know, they get a lot of attention. Mm. But in terms of, so I guess the question here is, and I'm curious on your your opinions, so is this autonomous air taxi thing from Uber a PR thing that just keeps giving because it keeps getting talked about for years? Or do you think that within, you know, this, this decade at least, which gives us a, a reasonable space of time since... You know, a bunch of companies, I mean, a lot, there's billions of dollars being thrown into this. Um, 
will they be launched and be at a accessible enough level that this isn't the you know the one percenters within yeah. any given market that can use it mm-hmm. like I mean you think of helicopters I mean I've been in a helicopter I don't know you know once or twice mm. um, and uh, yeah it's not it's not certainly not something I do every day um, well I, I think so you could compare it to limos you think about you know your limousine your stretch um, how often do people hire a stretch limo it's never, for special I, occasions. I never hire a limo. But, you know, you, th- you think about the people that you see in them. They're going to a, an awards show. They're going they to a, a, a hen's yeah. night, a stag do, or a wedding. Um, yeah. It's that kind of special occasion kind of thing. Is yeah. that potentially one of the angles? Or is it just going to be the, look, we're a high-profile yeah. business traveller that needs to get from one side of the city to the airport to catch a flight, Price is no object. I need to get there, and I'm not going to deal with rush hour traffic at 5 p.m. on a or Friday. Or an everyday thing, and hundreds or thousands of people are using them every day, which is, you know, I guess some of the the initial video and material sort of made it look as though this is a pretty pedestrian, you know, pretty standard sort of thing to be to be doing. Yeah, Just my, my view is that in the beginning, it's definitely the PR. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. if they can be seen as the first one to launch, yeah, totally. then people are going to be saying, oh, Uber, Uber, Uber just did this. Regardless you know? of yeah. who the brand was that actually just spent billions of dollars developing the technology and, and then putting an Uber sticker on the And the, the key is, it. regardless of the volume of traffic and the actual money flow, mm. you know, like, it, it, I, I've seen it before, I'm sure you have too, you know, like the launch you think, well, how many are actually using this product, whatever it is, you know, but but it was out there first. Yeah, yeah first to market. Yeah, and, exactly. And you also get the, the Hoover kind of thing or the um, even the Lime scooter, you know, Lime's no longer in Auckland, but still when you someone says they're going to scooter somewhere, do they say, I'm going to get an e-scooter or do they say, I'm just going to grab a Lime? And I think that that's quite common, even though we've got three providers of e-scooters here in Christchurch. If I hear, I don't hear every, anyone talking about, I'm just going to get a Beam. Right. I'm going to jump on a lime and they might actually get one of the other ones if there happens to be no limes in the vicinity yeah. and I think it's first to market very much so there's a huge it's, it's painting a vision of the future that they're part of that's yeah. the key thing because we all remember the Jetsons you know like flying around from from home to office and things and if you can be part of that then that's my view and you look at Netflix as an example they were mm. the first to launch streaming in New Zealand mm. But once they launched, I mean, they just had that brand presence. Yeah. Sure, there's some good content on there. Um, yeah, a lot of content on there, probably a lot more than the than the others. But the, yeah, a big part of it too was that that brand presence mm. of everyone who had heard of Netflix had been hearing of it for a long time. And there's lots of other factors too. But um, yeah, no, it's, mm. it's, it's it's an inter- interesting one to uh, to delve into. I mean, with the bits and pieces I've seen so far, I'm you know I'm convinced that we will we will have these. I guess you could call them you know sometimes refer to them as a people carrying drone, mm-hmm. um, yep. or you know an electric helicopter, but with you know rotor blades. When you look at all those things that differentiate them from mm-hmm. the helicopter, mm-hmm. um, I mean it just makes it just seems so natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me that, that we're going to get there with this stuff and that it's going to happen this decade but I'm certainly yeah undecided on what you know what the costs and how those practicalities are and what cities they're going to come to I mean I'm still surprised that uh, Uber and Ola are in what 12 um, 12 cities and, mm. and towns in, in New Zealand now and so yep. you know with, with those two players especially sort of mm. you know fighting it out mm. uh, and you know it was not that long ago, we didn't have Uber at all. When it first came in, I thought, well, how you know how small an area will it will it scale down to? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's it's certainly certainly got a very prominent place in the market yeah, for sure. Yeah. The question I have around all this is, what is it going to do to air traffic control systems? Mm. Yeah, you know, the moment it becomes a mass market product, you've got a massive problem. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's no longer going to be traffic jams on the streets, it's going to be traffic jams in the skies. That gets interesting. Yeah, well, there's, there's, I mean, te- technology and standards and communications, there's a, yeah, a whole lot of things that are going to play together there mm-hmm. uh, to make that work. But, I mean, I'm, I'm just happy for there to be one or two and for them to be, you know, hopefully a lot safer yeah. than, than helicopters and micro lights and, and, mm. and, you know, whatnot. But, you know, hopefully somewhere 
uh, in between those those sort of price points where yeah. you know mm-hmm. the, 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 it's not it's not crazy money, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I guess in some ways it, there's a, there's um, all the work that's going on around electric vehicles plays into it as well with mm-hmm. you know rapid charging and um, yeah charging networks because that sort of stuff will, will be pretty important as well. Yeah. And the thing that you hint that there though about what else needs to change, I think mm. that's the key for New Zealand. How do we actually like enable the future to, to be here? Because if, if we could do it well, yeah. and New Zealand was seen as the leader as it is in so many areas, then there's huge potential. And we're going to get onto it later, but I've written this paper about autonomous vehicles. Yeah. And the most fascinating quote I found was from 1899 when a New Zealand Herald article, they were talking about the end of the horse as the main means of transportation. And they're theorizing in 1899, like, what is this going to mean? What are our streets? How big do they need to be when there's not, it's not about horses. So each generation kind of has to go through it and think about, okay, what rules do we need? Like, you know, it's basic, but which side of the road are we going to drive on? You know, Mm -hmm. what does that mean for, a, a drone <laughs> yeah yeah you know. totally take off and landing spots yeah exactly where are they going to be all those sorts of things yeah yeah um, one last thing on that is that does excite me is that the um, the maintenance of airplanes and helicopters is incredibly expensive yes and the fact that these you know numbers could dra- drop you know dramatically I mm. think could be a key you know, a key part of bringing bringing down the cost, and then the associated increase in safety as well, because you've got more reliable yeah, engines, and if their you know their drone like with you know maybe half a dozen rotors or whatever you know ends up being, um, and they can operate when one of those fails, boy, mm. it's a whole lot nicer than a helicopter, which uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something stops there. It's uh, you know, yep. it's, it, it's good night. So, Game over, over. Uh, yeah, yeah. So there's some good stuff going on there. Um, now, Andy, you mentioned, before, again, um, Dolby Vision IQ. What's, uh, what's so this all about? So Dolby have created a new vision standard, which um, some uh, some of the people that are making smart TVs are, are adopting uh, at a reasonable pace. And, and one of the announcements they made at, at CES that caught my attention, because I'm, I'm a bit of a gamer and I love my movies, and where I have my TV, there's nowhere else in the living room to put it, but there's certainly light often falling on it. And the kids have you know, been up and running around and doing stuff and we've got lights your windows open and you can only see half the picture and it kind of does my head in a little bit and then it's like well to actually watch something you've got to close the curtains and it's a bit of a hassle Dolby Vision IQ is a it's an auto adjustment system using metadata within the recordings to actually and the TV to talk to it to actually auto adjust the contrast to actually make it work in whatever environment you're viewing it. So whether that be a night or day, whether the sunlight on the screen or whatever. So you know for for uh, anyone in any environment, it just makes it easy rather than having to get out the contrast and go, well, he, where the heck wow. in the settings do I go to adjust it to make it brighter, but then I'm going to have to turn it down again later on. So that kind of, and you only Panasonic. You definitely need to have sensors in the TV for it. Well, there's already sensors there, though. Right. Like, there's, okay. there's already cameras that are looking at the environment within which the TV's in. It already knows whether it's in sunlight or not, generally. Um, certainly the new smart TVs, the 8K TVs that are coming through now are. And so um, they're going to be doing it with using this this Dolby Vision IQ, they'll be using that metadata instead of one of the alternatives which some of the manufacturers have come up with is an AI deep learning system that's actually looking constantly at the environment and working out how to adjust it. So what they're saying is, look, if you do this with the Dolby product, it's a, it's going to be a better solution. Panasonic have jumped on board with it. Um, I'm a, a Sony person myself, so I'm hoping that at some point Sony will, will get on that bandwagon. Um, and I mean, we know Dolby make good products. Dolby Audio is is the industry standard. So interesting to see them moving more into that vision space. Yeah. Uh, so they become sort of more well rounded within that environment. I, I find that quite intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Quibi was. Um well, it wasn't announced at, at uh, CES, but um, there was more... More detail provided. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's exactly um, right. And I guess, you know, what, what, I, what I... I guess the thing that stood out to me was this is another streaming platform. It's really about portrait video 
primarily was my takeaway. I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I disagree. I don't think it's necessarily around portrait video. It's a key aspect of what they're trying to do. I think it's about short bites. Yes, I think that's that's, that's yeah. their main focus, it's and it's chunked up bits of content. Yeah, to watch a little little. So it's, so they're telling stories within a particular environment in short blocks. So I think Steven Spielberg is developing an at night show that you can only watch at night time when the lights are out because again your phone sensors are, are telling it you know what time of the day it is or or it's looking at the clock surely you're going to be able to trick it change the time on your phone. I, I don't know i don't know well, i guess it's all and then isn't it? so and what they're saying is yeah, you have a different experience you can have a different experience on a portrait mode versus a landscape mode so depending on which way you've got your phone you could right. have a different experience of the same show and one of the shows that they were using as an example of this is we you've got it in portrait mode um sorry you've got, when you've got it in landscape mode so looking like a normal tv picture you see the actors and you see what they're doing but they're talking about text messages that were sent between two people if you've got it in portrait mode you're looking at the text messages okay. as you would a normal phone right. so the content is based is changed based on how the device is orientated um, and they're looking at, at filming things so that there's bits at the sides of the picture that obviously aren't required in portrait mode that you get in landscape mode but there may be additional parts of the story it gets quite intriguing yeah yeah but my the challenge i have with it is how many streaming platforms do we need and, like yeah i mean if this i was thinking look if this is something they're going to roll out for free and give people a taste or there's going to be ad supported or something well, seven bucks a month australia try it out right mm -hmm. if, it, if it's free and it's the latest greatest thing we're all going to try it now i guess there'll be the same as with a lot of other platforms there'll be a free seven day yeah. Two week, whatever trial. Yeah. Um, now, actually, on that note, I've got to call out Apple. Um, dirty tricks on Apple's part. So I signed up for Apple TV Plus. Yeah. You get it with your new iPhone and varying devices. Yeah. You get it for a year. But unlike anything else I can find through Apple's store, you can't go and then turn that off the auto billing not, at the end of it. It's not under your subscriptions. Well, it sort of is, but if you turn it off, it stops working. Ah. Everything else you can say, so does I'll it try just... the trial, but I'm not going to pay afterwards. So I'm on the one-year Apple TV, but I can't go and turn it off. So if I miss, forget to set a reminder or whatever, Apple are taking the payment for the, you know, Ooh. it goes off to billing. So yeah, that's Apple needed, I just think Apple need a slap for that one. Um, I haven't asked them directly, and I, and I must... Um, do that i owe them a reply to an email but um anyway i just sort of call that one out because it, it's been on my mind i'm like absolutely <laughs> naughty um it's, picking up on that though just the volume of, of services yes i know it just as a consumer it just feels like there's so many blah blah, blah plus blah, blah blah plus like there's yeah. all these new offerings and it's it's starting to get tricky like okay well how do you even compare them? Because you've got Disney Plus as well, and they've got this show that's only here, and and then you've got Apple over here, and then you've got Amazon Prime, some and some then... of the um, networks like NBC. They're yep. about to launch their versions. Yep. And, and it's HBO like now and DC Universe. And, <laughs> and wasn't that long ago we were really excited about getting Netflix and getting a bit of streaming finally in New Zealand? We're going to be the content, yeah. and now we're moving into the world where it's uh, it's so fragmented. It's going to cost us five times as much as a Sky subscription. To Do either of you watch current TV as broadcast, aside from news and current affairs? No, I don't. Neither. But, no, no. I mean, I so it just it just goes to show that, we, that television has moved on from appointment based. We've become so used to the streaming world; it's all on demand. We watch things when we want to watch it. But are you going to get addicted to something like Quibi, five and ten minute long episodes? Realistically, every single one of those streaming platforms that we've already mentioned, mm -hmm. when you stop watching, you go back in, you start again from the point that you stopped. So why do I need it in a five or ten minute chunk? Mm. It's, it kind of feels like webisodes, really. And the webisodes was always the additional content. Well, they must think they're onto something. I think they've got a fair bit of uh, venture capital funding behind them. They just raised yeah. another hundred million. I think off oh, the so billion that they <laughs> off the billion they already previously <laughs> raised, <laughs> quite a few zeros. So but yeah, they've got, they've got certainly you know big names when you're talking. Yeah, you totally. can pull in Steven Spielberg and so on. So look, I, I think where we can um, you know utilize technology to come up with 
you know, something a little bit different. Mm. Um, that can be interesting. It can be hard to predict what it'll be like. Mm. Um, look, you know, I, I, I hope it uh, it is something that is is interesting and doesn't just fall by the wayside. But there was there, some... there's not enough to suggest at the moment that it's going to be that awesome new thing, is it? No, mm. not yet. We'll wait and see. April it comes out in the states. So. Mm. Something that stood out to me as well, just thinking, finishing off with his CS, like what was. This isn't a specific thing, it's more of a, a trend that I read about, which is the tech becoming less in your face. And, you know, like the flashy gadgets and the look at this latest thing. Some of the things that were um, out apparently were more integrated into our life. Mm -hmm. And in particular, one of them um, was, it looks like wood, mm -hmm. but then you go up to it and you touch it and then you can see, you know, the settings and things. And I thought that was quite interesting. It's like mm -hmm. a subtle shift but it's getting maybe away from the flashiness of I've got the latest thing and look at it's there in the corner mm. to being it's integrated into our environment mm. and, and particularly thinking of the future when voice activation becomes even more than yeah, what totally. it is today. You can imagine a room sort of, you walk in and today we would look at it and go, well, that's a pretty plain room, but actually it's completely you know, working in the background and you just can't see it right in your face. Mm. So I thought that was quite an interesting trend. Yeah, that's interesting. I was giving a bit of thought. I did a um, chat with um, on TVNZ Breakfast the, this morning with John Campbell and um, one of the things that I, I put through in, in some notes to them um, was, you know, do you want, they, they were initially asking me to talk about, you know, what, what new is coming this year. And it's, well, do you want me to look a little bit further out? Because we're at the beginning of a, of a decade. And I started sort of thinking around, well, where, where are we going to get with things mm. over this next 10 years? And this idea of things being a bit more integrated in, mm. in all sorts of ways, yeah, it sort of started getting my mind, you know, ticking over and how things going to work. Rather than you buy this one gadget that works sort of standalone as well, and, mm. you know, how, how, are, how are things going to work together? And, you know, we've had robots in our homes for you know decades the automatic you know washing machine mm -hmm. um you know we've got dishwashers and you know toasters and things like that that's this robot that's doing a very very simple um function i guess to a degree um but we're kind of ready i think for the next phase of that mm. and um you know whether whether that's a um you know star wars like uh robots and whatnot but um yeah, getting these things sort of integrated and, and, and working together mm. and, um, yeah, having them sort of fade into the background when uh, when they're not needed. Mm. Um, I th yeah, I think it's going to be pretty pretty interesting where we, where we get to over the over the next few years, but I mean, it's very hard to know when when these different dots join up and, exactly uh, right. and things become available. We did talk about a, a, the Samsung's little uh, uh, robot, the, um, was it the um, Bali, um, last week. Um, now, one more thing we had uh, in terms of um, new bits and pieces. There was an announcement to do with Twitter and um, limiting um, yeah. replies, Andy. Can you run through Yeah, that? so Twitter's over their keynote at CES. They announced that they're now introducing a new feature where you can specify who's able to reply to your tweet. Obviously, there's been this big problem with Twitter for as, as long as forever that anyone can reply to any tweet and it meant that it was creating an environment where trolls could take control of a conversation and, and all the valid replies could actually get absolutely you know just disappear mm -hmm. and everything that's coming through and the, all the characters uh, so what they're doing now is is and they haven't announced when it's going to be rolled out but I'm assuming it'll be soon uh, that they're now going to give you the ability to specify who's able to reply to your tweets it'll be interesting um, how, how smart that gets yeah um, I've been following Elon Musk tweets a little bit more closely over the over the past um, couple of months. Um, by in fact, the, the the day I ordered my Tesla, if I've been following uh, Elon Musk tweets um, and other info, but I think it was through his tweets, and I'd ordered a couple of days earlier, I would have saved sixteen hundred dollars because wow. he tweeted about prices going up and dates. Right. Apparently, that's what I'm one hundred percent sure. But anyway, so I've been following his tweets a little bit more closely. And um, a few times I've seen his tweets, and then you look at all of the replies, mm. and on a number of occasions there have been replies that look like they're from Elon Musk because you can put the you know reply uh, yeah, yeah. like, 
And if you don't look closely at the actual Twitter handle, the app, blah, 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 yeah. then you think it's Elon Musk. So there have been these basically spamming posts like, you know, I mean, the too good to be true type stuff, like, you mm. know, click here and I'm giving away this, or, mm. you know, the, I don't know, there were some Bitcoin things and, and other bits and pieces. And, um, yeah, you can imagine, it only takes a, a few number, you know, a few people to actually click through and, and, yep. and, get, and get sucked mm. in. Mm. And but with him, you kind of think maybe it is true, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, for the car in space. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's another example. Mm. You know, I can see where, you know, you, you want to... I mean, it's a little bit like, um, you know, within an organisation today, you know, some of the email systems, I know, you know, with Office 365, you, you can set it up. So if somebody... Um, and this is to deal with some of those phishing uh, attacks, yeah. fault, fake emails that looks like it's from the CEO, mm. you know, say to the accounts department saying, look, please put this money urgently into this account. We'll, yep. you know, we'll sort out the, the details later. And you can, you know, basically you can set it up. And this, you know, one of the things Gorilla, you know, is done for, for our clients, you set it up. So, um, yeah, let's say it's a, a fake email that is trying to look like it's from Paul Spain. Well, you know, if it comes in and it's not from, the, the, the verified, certified, correct uh, email address because it's from, you know, Paul underscore Spain at, you know, XYZ dot whatever, um, then it's going to actually have a note at the top to say, hey, this, this is dodgy. But, yeah, there, there's probably some of that type mm. of stuff that they can address. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how, how Twitter get on. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of issues around social media, yep. lots, of, Very lots, so. of, lots of challenges that need to be dealt yeah. with. And, you know, social issues that, that social media is, is creating and um, you know if we look 10 years out we don't address these things then you know, what's going to be the mental health ramifications and, and other impacts on, on society I think we're already seeing those um, from the last 10 years yeah, well, you know Facebook's been around what 12 years and yes, just yeah. in the last 12 months you know just guys that have taken their lives that I'm aware of mm it's just it's horrifying and you often wonder if, if the reason they've taken that drastic action is because there's been people saying stuff in their sphere which there's no truth to it well there was this but it's, in Australia it yeah in the last, last mm. week or, or, or so and uh, yeah so, the yeah. problem is it gives power to the trolls and mm. the 0.0001% that right. all of a sudden you think oh this must be what lots of people think but actually it's just one person in the basement, you know, mm. it's, it's, so it, it's an Im, it's disproportionate. Um, Agreed. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's fascinating. And thinking back, you know, not that long ago, the iPhone was released. You know, it's like we're just in the early stages. If you look at the lifespan, we're just at the adolescent. We're coming up to being adolescents. You know, yeah. it's, it's just starting. We don't we need know. some maturity. Yeah, we do. Yeah. But yeah. The, you know, the mental health aspects. That's like a whole research paper there, right? Like, yeah. what is the implication? And particularly, you know, if you got young kids, their world they're growing up in compared to the world that I grew up in. Yeah. And what's the implication if you're 12 years old and you're in a little group and you're chatting? outside of school and you know there's, there's a lot of questions there mm, mm. Just, um, TikTok yeah. all those sorts of things they're just very scary when you're a parent yeah. <laughs> absolutely now on to some of the New Zealand uh, things so Vodafone 5G is now uh, launched in parts of Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch and Queenstown and uh, because I was away when the, uh, the launch happened last year um, I haven't had a chance to try it until but you've uh, got the, uh, phone the last few days. So we, we, yeah, we're doing a um, Facebook live stream, possibly. I can't see the other side of the phone. So we're hoping it's working. Hopefully um, that, that's uh, still working on. Um, but this is, yeah, this, has, this trip has given me a chance to, uh, to test that. Interesting because there's only, um, at the moment, you know, pockets of, I think, uh, around 100, um, 100 cell sites were, were uh, brought online at launch, and, and that will expand out. Yeah, I'm sure uh, re reasonably quickly. Uh, it means there's only pockets in each city. So when the times when I got a chance to test it in Wellington and in Auckland, um, I didn't even have a chance to look at the coverage map, and I and I still haven't. So um, you know that that's on me. But the the two sort of uh, two or three times I tried in those locations, I didn't get a five G. 
Um, the one time I've tried it so far in, in Christchurch, um, haven't been in and out of Christchurch over the last 24 hours, um, <laughs> and back to Auckland, and back, uh, <laughs> and then back again and driving here, oh, um, but working, working, you know, really well, and I think, you know, running a little speed test, it was, you know, two, 250 um, you know, mega, megabits a second, um, down and yeah, a bit more than a tenth of that um, up, yeah. which is oh, look those you know pretty encouraging numbers. You know we're very very early on. Five G has you know all sorts of um, you know p- potential down the track, and uh, you know it will be it'll be very interesting to see how it how it develops. But certainly, um, yeah, there's some some mm. sort of positive in- indications. Um, if I think about you know some of the earlier days of um, of four G and the four G variants and and test environments, um, yeah, I probably saw some some speeds that weren't you know dramatically um, slower than that in, mm. in the early days. Um, but I think you know five G brings with it you know all sorts of you know all, all sorts of things um, you know over over time. Mm. And so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see you know how it develops and you know the idea of you know putting. Putting um, you know cell sites into into stadiums and um, yeah its ability to deal with you know much much more you know, active connections on a mm-hmm. on a site um, and you know overall so much more throughput so um, I th- I mean I think it's something that you know all of our expectations and uses of technology are rising mm-hmm. um, so I was very very pleased to hear that uh, the New Zealand government is. Um, uh, doing a, a spectrum um, auction, upcoming spectrum auctions. Now I'm not going to delve into all the ins, ins and outs of, of that because I think we'll run out of time. Um, <laughs> probably a good. Uh, this is the sort of topic Bill Bennett loves to talk about, so um, we'll try maybe have a chat to, to him on his his opinions because I know he'll be speaking to lots of people on this, and he's probably already done a blog post um, about it. But yeah, basically they're doing this uh, auction for. To cover the next two years until you know certain, well, I guess we get to the the, the um, window that we thought, well, maybe there isn't going to be much in the way of five G until mm. we get to that. But they're going to do this, um, uh, you know, short term uh, spectrum auction. Uh, you know, not crazy money for um, you know, telcos to, to get involved, and that will give us broader than just Vodafone, um, you know, five G from you know, probably around mid. Um, yeah, mid mid this year uh, within within New Zealand. So um, yeah, quite quite pleasing because uh, yeah, I certainly don't don't think it's good for us as a as a nation to be you know moving ahead on things like you know credible fibre um, and and other uh, innovations from a you know, communications perspective. But then oh, we've only got uh, 4G because mm. to for for um, you know Kiwis to be inventing and coming up with the ideas of how we leverage. Yeah, new technologies. We have to have access to those new technologies. Yeah, um, huge believer in that. So, um, yeah, very. That's that's very encouraging. Anyway. So, can I ask a question of both of you? Like, we talk about five G and four mm-hmm. G and all this. What do you think is going to be the major implication in terms of, for example, big data? And like, what's what's going to be like? It's one thing to say it's now live. It's it's in pockets. Like that's the that's the moment in time that we sit in. But in a broader perspective, you know, like when we look back in 2030, back to 2020, what are we going to go? Wow, that the, the the faster access, the tech that really enabled this area to grow. I'm just curious if you've given that any thought. I, I don't think anybody really knows yet, but yeah. I, I mm. guess it's the same as when. I mean, we had this. You know, it was the same thing when you know it, it was announced that you know the ultra fast broadband initiative in New Zealand was mm. like, well, we need to do this. Well, why do we need to do it? And there were varying reports and you know researchers and bits and pieces, but nobody. I didn't see anything that was a clear, you know, indicator. And you know, I'm someone that grew up where, you know, when I was growing up in Christchurch, if I could get online here, I had a dial-up, you know, modem. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, really not too far from where, where we're sitting now. Yeah. And I, you know, I could get online. It was a, it was a bulletin board. I wasn't you know wasn't direct internet access. But generally, and there was CompuServe and other things that I used around that time, uh, and we're talking, you know, pretty much thirty years ago to to now. Um, the communication speeds that I get now are, are a million times yeah. 
a million times, actually probably, you know, yeah, maybe, yeah, around a million times um, with what, you know, what the chorus have just launched, what I was, you know, yeah. able to, able to get then. And if you, you know, asked me along the way, and I, and I, you know, I believe we should be looking out into the future and, 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 and um, you know, trying to figure these things out. But, I mean, I, I think it's really, really hard to, you know, actually know until you get in there and it's like, oh, yeah, this solves this. Oh, this solves that. Um, that's, that's, that's my thing. I mean, we've, there have been some things bandied around and, and talked about in terms yeah. of, of good use cases and farms and mm. IoT and, and those elements and the fact you'll be able to connect everything from your, you know, your, your toothbrush to your watch and look, anything, anything can be connected and, it, and it's, you know, it's a very small incremental cost to mm. connect the, the next thing and what will that do for safety and vehicle to vehicle communications, all these infrastructure things. But in terms of, you know, actually how that how that plays out, how long it takes, and is there one big thing that, you know, completely changed the world? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess we could maybe have that discussion another, you know, <laughs> another, another five or ten years. But I am convinced that we will be, we would be just as frustrated in that sort of five or ten years if we to don't be dropped back. Like, I was, I can't mm-hmm. remember where I was the other day, uh, maybe camping or something, and it was a, 3G connection, <laughs> yeah. and it was like, you know, just, I mean, what is we take yeah. for granted now, yeah. which we did not take for granted five years ago, no. certainly 10 years ago, the ability to like stream YouTube on your phone, mm. that was something that you would do when you were sitting down mm. at home, and, it, and the cost of data was so expensive, you, you know, you would... I mean, a few people would, and you know, some people had the you know higher higher plans and and, and so on. Mm. Um, but in terms of you know, broadly, we were pretty yeah. cautious around consuming video on on a, on, a, on a phone. But I think that's where we're going to see the biggest change as far as mm. data goes. I think it's going to be video data is going to be the thing where we see it the most initially. And I think what we're going to see is there's going to be more cameras everywhere. Mm. I think we're going to be watched a lot more. I think there's going to be a lot more data stored. There's going to be a lot more surveillance, mm. um, both you know in retail establishments, on the road. And I think that's an area that 5G will really enable for, you know, then there's two ways to look at that. That's road safety, it's security, it's all those kind of things. But at the same time, it's also invasion of privacy. Um, and I think that's one area where we, we probably need to be a bit cautious about that. And you know, from your law background, obviously, you will know all about the ins and outs of, of those aspects of it. But I think that's where once you can stream high definition video in real time, um, there's a it was a TV show called The Capture that was on uh, recently in the UK, um, which is fantastic. Absolutely loved it. But it's really interesting talking about what happens if you can manipulate real time video. Mm-hmm. And, and what people could do with that right. and it posits some really interesting thoughts into your brain when you're watching it going hang about could anyone do this in New Zealand mm-hmm. and my little lovely country where we live in the bottom part of the world mm-hmm. but we're a really nice microcosm we're a, a small consumer society that's high technology adopters mm-hmm. there's a lot of opportunity there for people that want to test things put things to a use case you know uh, it, it can be scary as well as exciting yeah. at the same time. Yeah, I, I totally agree on that one. It, it, it was in, um, you know, something that I, that I wrote up yesterday was um, that there's the potential, if we look, you know, that decade out, mm. for us to have more surveillance in little, friendly, safe New Zealand on a, you know, on a per capita or however you measure it type basis mm. than what China has today. Mm. Just because... And you know, I was sitting yesterday. We were in Kaikoura on a on our way um, south in the Tesla. We stopped for um, lunch, get a little charge, um, and eating fish and chips there. You know, little place on the side of the street. Lovely fresh blue cod. And um, I looked up, and there's a pole with three cameras yeah. sitting off it. And I'm thinking. Mm. The, this this is not this is not certainly not the New Zealand of, of my childhood. And where's and that footage going? Just a taste, a very small taste yeah. of where we'll be in a decade. Yeah, we were totally. And you know, it was the discussion. Well, is that council? Is that police? Uh, is that you know private from the local you know retailers association? Yeah. What's it targeted at? The RTA. 
how do we know that's safe? The conversation that we just had mm. that was five, you know, probably five meters away from it, is, has that been has mm. that been captured? Did it yep. capture me when I didn't realize it was there and I was landing typing in, you know, my password to get into something? Yep. My pin numbers, it's just, yeah. it's, it's which is mind boggling. Which is the bigger issues, isn't it? It's, you know, tech is great having the future is great but just because you can do something does that mean you should do something exactly and that's kind of the bigger question that we're asking here isn't it and yeah it's fascinating we'll we'll watch and watch and see yeah and there's that level of you can't stop it mm. so the, i think there, there's, there's a whole lot that's got to go go in there in terms of new thinking as we, as we move forward mm. yes there's a lot of things that can't be stopped but what are the structures and legal frameworks and and other things that need to be wrapped around so we we you know somehow get the the at the better end of the possible results rather than at the worst end yeah which brings us nicely to your thought earlier about fax machines yes fax machines <laughs> oh, what, when was the last time you used a fax machines? machines? <laughs> um well, we, we've kept a fax line running at Gorilla for the really the, the sole purpose uh, of being able to provide assistance if a you know, client has an issue with a fax machine. Mm-hmm. And there are probably two areas where I think fax machines have continued to be used in New Zealand. And I've, uh, yeah, I'm... I'm Basically, in in legal situations, which is your world, Stephen, yeah, uh, and in medical, and um, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, it seems to be for whatever reason that that facts have stayed around in those environments, and uh, yes, that so the 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 article um, that I saw about this was was referencing um, yeah in in the in the medical world. Mm-hmm. Of hey, this is something that actually, you know, is going to uh, it's going to stop uh, in New Zealand, which is uh, is great. It, you know, basically the move is to uh, to start ditching that reliance on fax machines, which, which makes perfect sense when you is, think about is, it. It's kind of cool. And look, we've got, I mean, it's getting more and more challenging because fax wasn't. Uh, you know, it was designed to work over old copper lines, mm. and that stuff's disappearing. And yes, there are. You know, IP-based um, you know ways of making it work, but realistically, um, yeah, I don't think there's justification for keeping facts because we've got much much better systems now. They can tell you that it arrived at the other end. I think that was one thing people wanted. This, hey, we need to know what we've been sent has been received at the other end. Mm. Um, and look, you can use online portals and all sorts of. There are lots of other ways. I think getting a result, but mm. look, it worked. And it continued to work, but really, you know, at some point things need to be killed off, which which um, probably a discussion for another day, but I wonder where the currency in its physical form will be killed off this decade as well. Um, but let's, let, let's um, we might have to come back to that on another uh, another episode. But yeah, can, what, can what, I have to, you just with the fax machine from a yeah, legal perspective? I, yeah, I'm really curious about yeah, that because yeah. how important is it at the moment well, and what's, what's about to change? Yeah, so from my perspective, I mainly deal with corporates and companies and, you know, um, contracts and that type of thing. But there's a particular segment of lawyers that use it a lot, which is property conveyancing. Yes. So traditionally, lawyers would fax each other. And they would say, and in the contracts themselves, the very templates provide for fax instructions because at the time, of course, you know, you had, uh, but it makes perfect sense. You have until 5 p.m. on Tuesday the 25th, you know, to fax this and confirm that you are unconditional or that it isn't unconditional or whatever it is. So So it's kind of, exactly. So it's actually really critical and think for each of us when you're buying a house or you're selling a house, like there's deadlines that Mm. have to be met and, and the lawyer's probably calling you and saying, Hey, did you get the inspection report and that moldy, you know, whatever, are you okay to buy it or not? And you say, I'm ready. I've got the finance approved. I've had the building inspector and, Let's do this. And then what traditionally has happened, at least for the last 20 years, <laughs> is that the lawyer has gone and, and, and sent the facts to the other side. And uh, the real positive this, of this is that the fax machine does spit out a piece of paper which says, 
at 4.58 p.m., mm-hmm. this was sent. And so that, from a lawyer's perspective, that kind of gives you a little, ha, oh, it's mm-hmm. gone, I've done what I can. Even though um, you, you can fight these things. And yeah, I guess but, you but could, but the point is you've got, you sure. Yeah, you have a, yeah. A, a physical piece of paper that's come out of the machine that t- tells you that it's gone. And it's also used um, sometimes with business sale and purchases, so I've done that as mm-hmm. well. And you know, there is a deadline of a certain time of the day and that's what it says. Yeah, um, you can't worry about it. You, you don't have that worry about whether your uh, cloud provider had an interruption on mm. that day or something. That's but, right, yeah. Well, I guess your, your phone or your fax could, uh, could, could stop go all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I've had, honestly, situations where you're getting to the deadline and the client is out of reception or whatever, you're going, I need to confirm this thing one way or the other, otherwise you're going to be, you know, yeah. on the it's wrong side of yeah. the contract because you will not have met your obligations. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the update is that there's um, Auckland District Law Society, we call ADLS, they've just issued a new template for property transactions and it doesn't provide for the facts. So, so that's quite interesting. Um, I was talking with a property colleague and he said this is quite a, you know, quite a big change. Um, but from his perspective, it was, you know, it's the way of the future. Um, of course, if older templates are still being used, then they do mm. provide for it. So it's not like it goes away immediately, but that seems to be um, the way of, the way that it will head. So. Yeah, I mean, ha- house buying transactions, you've been through this. Well, I'm currently going through this. That's what I find fascinating. I, now you mentioned my real estate agent just the other day, he brought around a contract for me to sign a couple of days ago yeah. and said, oh, there's this new updated agreement and they've changed a few things. Oh, and my. that's probably one of them. And I don't recall seeing anything about by fax. I think it was notification needs to be received by 5 p.m. on this date. Yeah. But I don't think there was a, a a method of confirmation specified. Yeah, I don't have a copy in front of me, and I don't. I, I honestly don't do the property yeah, transaction yeah. so much. Um, but this is what my colleague told me is actually it's, it's interesting. Changed. It is, and but I think it's it's about time. Like yeah. realistically, you know, th- there are enough ways to to move a, a document electronically in a secure way that it just feels like we're finally catching up with the real world. Yeah, yeah. But, but I suppose the legal fraternity has always been a bit behind the ball on these yeah. things. Well, I'm willing to admit that being a lawyer, you're naturally conservative yeah. because you want to protect things. There's a way things have been done. There's a process, you know, and you want to get things right. So mm-hmm. it is probably the last bastion that does change because of the nature of the type of work that we do. Mm. So yeah, uh, but that's good. There you go. And banking. <laughs> now we are. Um, we had. We did have a couple more things we were going to uh, delve into, but we're going to have to wait for uh, for another episode. But I think we'll, you know we'll we'll look to do this certainly this style of episode again. Um, if we've got listeners in other parts of the country that are thinking, hey, we need to have the New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, here, then certainly. Uh, get in touch. Um, certainly, you know, open and 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 keen um, to be having these discussions. We haven't ended up delving into you know really too much that's um, that's Christchurch specific. Um, but, but yeah, before we before we do cut off, um, it would be just good to hear um, about what happens in Christchurch with Canterbury Tech. Um, it, it, there's, you know, it seems to be a good hub here. There's, a, I mean, an incredible, tremendous hub. happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I've got a, you know, a bit of a sweet spot for Christchurch, being being originally a, uh, well, not originally, being being a Christchurch boy for half of my childhood. Hmm. Um, and and yeah, uh, I mean, I'm always interested to uh, hear what's going on. Um, well, there's, there's lots happening in the Christchurch Tech ecosystem, and um, it's been really exciting to see. I was on the committee for Canterbury Tech for a couple of years, and now I host our podcast, um, the Epic Podcast, which um, has been brilliant because it means that I'm getting to meet a number of the shakers and movers locally, and, and people that are um, key in the ecosystem as well. And um, one of the things, I was just speaking with um, Neil Hamilton, the GM of Canterbury Tech earlier today, and uh, he was commenting on the fact that it's been really interesting over the last 18 months seeing number of applications to Canterbury Angels for funding um, for entrepreneurs and startups and the numbers have gone up significantly like really significantly and not only that the quality has gone up um, people are pitching really solid 
ideas and the, the local angels are, are really responding to that. So our, our startup ecosystem is really improving. Our Ministry of Awesome are doing some phenomenal things. Our University of Canterbury Entrepreneurship Program doing some really phenomenal things. Um, Callahan's getting in behind that as well. Christchurch NZ's encouraging things. And Canterbury Tech is an organization that's doing, uh, going gangbusters as well, I must say. Uh, and I, yeah, admittedly, I'm probably a little bit biased because I'm quite heavily involved. But as an organization that's just bringing people that are doing tech in Christchurch together, um, you know, we did a summit in, uh, in September, uh, over 700 people attending, it was sold out. Um, uh, John Key came as our keynote a couple of years back when he was still the Prime Minister and he walked in and he was absolutely stunned at how many people were repre representing the Canterbury Tech community and it is a phenomenal community of people doing really interesting things so we know how good it's doing down here but we want to get the word out more to the rest of the country it's something we need to improve on um, we're you know we're doing a summit again this year in the same venue that we've been in for the last few years but next year we're looking to move into the new uh, convention center which is going to be very exciting uh, it opens October this year so we've already got our booking in place for that and that's going to see some exponential growth so we're looking uh, with that to expand the reach of that uh, of that event uh, to try and bring people in from our other parts of the country as well. Right. So well, I, th I mean, I think, there, yeah, there, there just seems to be a, a huge amount going on here. I mean, mm. New Zealand, you know, we're known for punching above our weight. I would say it's fair to say that, um, you know, Canterbury seems to be, you know, punching above, you know, weight uh, as, as a region as well from, you know, all the indicators and things I'm, I'm seeing. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, it's really impressive and not to you know, put down any other part of the country, but there, there does seem to be this this really, um, you know, strong community mm. of, and, and a, a, you know, a lot of, I guess, that sort of cross-pollination and, and support that's, going, mm. that's mm. going on. And I think the key, one of the key things to mention here is the reality of what the earthquakes meant for this city. Yeah. Because I think it unified people here in a way that you can't understand if you're not here. Yeah. So I think that's worth mentioning. Mm. Because um, I know for me, I, I was a lawyer who was based in Tokyo for four years, London for three years, Sydney for four years. So I've kind of seen the tech communities in these bigger centers. And when I got here and went to the first, because Canterbury Tech holds a monthly meetup mm. and, and gets a lot of people. Yeah, like, 120, 160 quite commonly. Quite, yeah. quite regularly. And you do start meeting the people, the same people seeing them, but there's definitely a solidarity where people are supporting each other, which I haven't seen in the bigger communities. And I think it's partly the nature of the size of Christchurch, but also it's because of what people went through where you did need, you, you had nowhere to go because yeah. your office was not accessible and therefore you went and your friend let you use their space. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And So there's a definite vibe here. And for me, I know people talk a lot about Christchurch, the old boys network and things, mm. but I actually think there's a new shift towards a real focus on entrepreneurs. Yeah, you and did a uh, you were right up about this. Yeah, when I read that. I did, yeah, I sent you the link, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, there's a change in the vibe of Christchurch, which if you're not here, you probably can't feel it. Yeah. yeah. Definitely come down, come along to a Canterbury Tech event because there's a, there's a lot of good stuff happening here. And I don't think people are aware of the diversity no. of enterprises who are, you know, as well as the big ones like Tate Communications, which is still massive, mm -hmm. you've got lots of startups, lots of mm -hmm. people doing augmented reality and all, like all these different and areas. And established organizations that, you know, I, I do a lot of work with Enphase Energy and you know, they had a, a team of 36 people a year and a half ago and now they're, they're up to 70 staff. So in the last year and a half, they've added doubled their staffing complement, um, run out of San Francisco, they're just out in Petaluma, um, and, and so the management's coming out of the US, but because of some of the really smart things that we've got available, they're a, a Callahan Growth Grant recipient, um, you know, we've got the R&D tax credit, the biggest struggle that they're getting is just finding quality engineers. Um, because they're working within the solar market, so it's renewables, it's, in, it's solar inverters, it's quite a specialist skill set. And to find the right people and bring them into Christchurch, really exciting. But as an organisation, they are committed to actually expanding that. Trimble, uh, up to over 400 staff here in Christchurch, they've expanded into a new building. Um, and they're you know, a long-term Christchurch player that have been around for you know, 40 years. 
but at the same time uh, they just keep growing and doing phenomenal work because we can connect between the states and Asia um, we, we do the crossover whereas you know someone in, in China or in, in India it's the middle of the night when the Americans are at work we get them in the morning and then we get the Asians in the afternoon um, so we can actually form that linchpin to actually connect them within that tech global tech community environment uh, which is it's really exciting and you hear so many phenomenal stories which we don't have time to go into now yeah, but well, yeah. I could keep talking we're going we're gonna to have to come back and, and, and do more and um, so that's my commitment and, and look I'm certainly interested in, in hearing from listeners in other parts of the country um, and as I've been getting around the country on, on this trip there's certainly been you know, suggestions about doing things in other places um, so we'll have to work out the, the logistics and practicalities of that. Uh, but uh, look, it's, it's been great. Now, um, Stephen, where do people track you down on, online and well, keep up with your podcast and um, yeah, the other, other things that you're doing? Yeah, I've got an unusual surname, so M-O-E, and LinkedIn is probably where I put lots of stuff. So I'm Stephen with a V and Mo, and I'm doing a podcast called Seeds. So I've done 156 episodes of that, and um, that's really interviewing people, trying to get to the heart of their stories, not just what do you do, but why do you do it? Mm -hmm. So they tend to go for 45 minutes or an hour, quite in-depth looks, and I've interviewed many of the players here in Christchurch, mm -hmm. but it's also um, people from Harvard Business School or you know someone from Italy. I, it's not exclusively Christchurch-based. So Seeds Podcast is that name, and... Um, it's got its own um, website at theseeds.nz where I put lots of videos and articles and things. And then my full-time work is as a lawyer. So my email, best email would be stephenmo at perryfield.com. So we're recording this at Perryfield Lawyers. So, yes, thank yeah. you for hosting us. Much no problem. Much appreciated. Yeah. And I hope I'm, I'm not mixed up here, but my recollection is you have some open source legal agreements or something on your site is that yep. right yep if if people contact us we've we've got some um, material that we've put out so we're trying to make things easier for people like resolutions and you know some of the basic things that you need when you're a startup so yeah that's been a, um, a great process of making things available so that you know um, those first steps because yeah. we're very we're, very very helpful this, I think this, for, you know, any any startup is you know, you, you're trying to scratch around and get started and things start on, you yeah. know, agreements on back of, you know, paper napkins and, and things like that. And being able to draw on, you know, some of these uh, standardized exactly, documents online. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and we've written a lot of resource guides and articles and stuff as well. So that's at perryfield.com. That's yeah. the best place to find those. So. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Nice. And Andy Paulson, where do we track you down? Uh, well, podcast-wise, the Epic Podcast is available on all sort of standard podcast platforms. Um, just look for Canterbury Tech, though, because it's a lot easier to track down than the Epic Podcast. There's about 101 Epic, in fact, there's probably 1,001 Epic yeah. Podcasts. Yeah. Um, but we had to call it that because other people that provided the funding for it. Yeah. Um, so that was good. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, I On LinkedIn, I'm currently going by, you can just search by Andy Paulson or my DJ alias. I DJ nightclubs at the weekend as Andy Polzer. And my LinkedIn is at Andy Polzer. Oh. Uh, so find me there uh, for recruitment. If you've got recruitment requirements, uh, I'm at Farrah Jameson. Just reach out to me on, on LinkedIn or Andy at FarrahJameson.com. Quick and easy. Nice. Well, that's us for this week. So um, thank you, everybody, for listening in and uh, joining the show. And we will catch you again uh, similar time next week. Thanks, Thanks Paul. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.